Hello and welcome to the Dreamcast Years podcast. My name's Andrew and this is being recorded for Radio Sega's Winterfest 2020. Uh, before I introduce you to what exactly Dreamcast Years is, uh, for those who may not have listened to us before, let me first introduce you to my usual cohorts. First up, it's the man whose home is filled with green stuff. Not just plants, but that sweet, sweet Xbox Series X too. <laughs> He's the bearded man who's quite often seen with a can in his hand. Sorry, I didn't couldn't make that work quite well. Uh, it's the beer aficionado, gamer and all-round lovely guy, Rich. How are you? I'm alright, thank you very much. Good. Um, I'm going to move on to the next person, and then I've got some questions for you. So hang on, let's uh, let's let's move on. So the um, the next person rounding out the tremendous trio is someone who also sports a beard, uh, but he's much much more than that. He's the voice of many brands, though they are fictitious. Uh, catch cross call every other Sunday over at twitch.tv forward slash the cross players live and has been known to have an opinion or two on games. It's the PS5 owning Shenmue hating man himself. It's the actually very lovely Steve. How are Hello. you? Yes, I'm all right. I take slight issue with Shenmue hating, but that's fine. That's disliking? Fine. Shenmue disliking? Uh, it's complicated. Maybe we'll get into it. <laughs> well, let's. Let's get into it. I mean, Shenmue's always been a bit of a contentious issue on the podcast. Um, can you kind of explain why okay, that is? Okay, so, I mean, Shenmue did a lot of really important things, and at the time, it was super unique and um you know kind of a thrill to play a game like that because it had mm-hmm. uh, you know we don't need to go into the weeds on this but it had the you know day night cycle real time stuff you just sort of very slow paced exploring a japanese town it felt very authentic and all that was very nice however yeah. aged rapidly and badly and uh, it is not a good game. I, I mean, you, you say aged rapidly and badly, but you weren't that keen on it at the time either. I guess. I guess. Well, there was a lot to like about it, and there was a lot I did like about it. But I think the main issue I had was that it took a lot of it was kind of time wasty. I didn't like that right. it wasted my time, mm-hmm. and there wasn't enough good stuff in a row. It was like you had to wait, and it was dealt out really slowly over a very long period. There's a point in that game where you literally just have to wait. And yep. you can just look at your watch and wait. And also you get a job driving a forklift. And it's not like you're going to have a job now and then you're going to go and then stuff's going to happen at the job. You literally, uh-huh. you just, you do the, it, it's a job. Yeah. You you do a job. I mean, do you feel like Shimu 2 did a bit of a better job? Because obviously it kind of sped things up a little bit. You had a bit more opportunity to fast travel and Shenmue skip 2 time. Did a be- and- it, it did a better job. I, I prefer Shenmue 2 over the first one still has a lot of the same issues sadly mm. but like mm. stuff like when you're not sure where to go and you can ask passers-by where you should go and they say i know where that is follow me and then you follow <laughs> along behind them like walking through the bus streets and everything it's really cool but it's also kind of dull <laughs> I, I, I can kind of i can kind of agree with it but I, maybe i just find it more cool than dull so it kind of tips the balance yeah for me and I get like a lot of people have a lot of reverence for Shenmue still now, and I don't judge people for that. However, I it's it's got to be nostalgia, right? That's what's happening there, because I don't have a lot mm. any other explanation for it. I mean, just to bring it through to the so I mean we we've had conversations about Shenmue several times because it's come up on a bunch of occasions for various reasons. Mm. Um, the probably the the best reason that came up is that for our 2003 episode we mm. had Corey Marshall mm. as our guest. How, how was that? Considering that you, that... considering you, you'd had very strong opinions about the games that he'd been in, 
<clears throat> so we make a lot of jokes about Shenmue. <laughs> uh, we, we, Rich and I are uh, at odds about, about right. Shenmue, and I tell him it's a shit game, um, and he tells me MGS is a shit series. Uh, <laughs> but really, my feelings are not th- that strong on it. Like, okay. if somebody's going to ask me what I think of Shenmue, I will tell them, but I don't sit here with a broiling rage about the Shenmue series, hating the fact that it still exists or whatever. And having a Corey on the pod was a pleasure, and, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's a really nice guy. And also, something that that I really liked about him was his passion for Shenmue as well. He clearly loved doing it, and he clearly loved that he got to do it again with the third game. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not going to I'm not gonna trash Shenmue when we've got Corey on the pod. Um, however, yeah. I, did, I retained my integrity, and I was honest but respectful. I think, well. is, that, is that how I came off? He did well. He had he had a few awkward smiles as he, you know mm-hmm. slagged mm-hmm. off his uh, his hard work. But... <laughs> <laughs> he was just trying to be oh. a polite guest. But you know, for me that was that was totally crazy and surreal. I mean, yeah. if you told me back in what Christmas of two thousand that I'd be talking to the guy that mm. was the voice of Rio in the game that I was playing that year, mm-hmm. I would just tell you you're absolutely crazy and what's a podcast? <laughs> well, yeah, but. True, both true. Also, the fact that, that that game got you to get your forklift license. It did. I mean, oh, Steve yeah. talking about the fact that you have to do a job in this game. That that job got you know got Rich to drive a forklift in real life. It you did. Know? Yep. That license has long expired, unfortunately. So now I'm just airing <laughs> books for a living instead. Well, that's, <laughs> it's a good way to earn a living. Uh, it is. It is. Um, <laughs> and you can still move a box by hand if you feel like it, which is what they Indeed. make you do in Shenmue 2. Indeed. Yes, they they really yeah, very they do. very slowly, very slowly. Uh, Rich, talking about mm-hmm. uh, about you and uh, and your your uh, relationship with games, shall we say? Um, <laughs> one of our running jokes throughout the series so far has been um, that we always ask you whether you've played the game we're discussing because, by and large, you you haven't. Um, is is that is that mean? Are we mean, Rich? Are we mean to you? <sighs> I think maybe sometimes mean, but probably it's probably about an eighty twenty split. I think the rest of the time I just I just don't play games, and uh, I honestly don't know why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> You're here because the games that you do play, you are very very passionate about. I mean, when we Indeed. spoke about Shenmue, you were so passionate about that game. You almost turned Steve into a Shenmue loving person uh, through your description. Yeah. Did he? Yeah. Well, he did. You, you did say that you you really liked how. Uh, Richard described that game. Yeah, so. no, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. And and you know you're here because you also know a heck of a lot about games as well, even if you haven't played them. Yeah. So, you know, just the unimportant ones like the uh, the SmackDown that came out that one year. That's 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 another that's another reason that you you would, like me and Steve would not bring up those games because it just wouldn't occur to us. And you bring up these like left field choices, which are yeah. which are brilliant. Um, they're brilliant. They often lose in our game of the year podcast, but they are brilliant still nonetheless. Um, and you know you've tried some of the games that we've been talking about. I mean, you know mm-hmm. you've now tried Metal Gear Solid Three. Ten you minutes. Care to tell us how that how that went. Um. I got to the bit where I had to retrieve the uh, the backpack from the branch, and I uninstalled it and got a refund from Microsoft because I just well, anyone the anyone who's I played hate the controls. anyone who's played MGS three will tell you that you have not played MGS three. Oh, absolutely! I totally I won't like, I won't not... fight them on that. <laughs> <laughs> it was just after about twenty minutes of that. conversations. I just was like, I'm sitting here watching just constant dialogue. 
my wife was mm. getting incensed because she's like are you actually going to play this game i was like i don't know <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and uh i don't know i didn't know what to do at that point i just thought i could be playing you know yakuza instead or something else mm. i can't i can't really blame you but you know there it's, is a lot of really good game after that part but i i, I also mm. can't really blame you the opening to that game is long yeah yeah and a bit convoluted but like you that's that is about half an hour into it and all you've done at that point is walk towards the tree where your backpack <laughs> is is uh is hanging that's it that's yeah. the only part that you've controlled wow wow yeah. wow okay no well let's um so for people who are wondering why we're talking about non-sega games right now um i should probably explain the podcast um and what we do um so for those of you who are listening uh, to one of our shows for the first time, here's what it is all about. Um, I created this podcast uh, to discuss gaming as a whole between the years of 1997 and 2008, uh, which I believe were the golden years of gaming. Uh, why these years, I hear you cry? Well, it's simple. Uh, the Dreamcast is my favourite console of all time. Uh, also Rich's, because his handle on Twitter is at Dreamcast Barber, and there's only one explanation for that, which is that the Dreamcast is awesome. Well, I mean, there is a slightly more... Um complicated reason for him being called dreamcast barber which i think is kind of a a, a sweet inspiration for yeah a twitter for a twitter handle rich it is yes indeed yeah it's a little tribute to the uh a french actor whose name i do not remember who was in the very first uh european tv commercial for the for the console um Mm. pre-launch and yeah so exactly yeah which you saw at the cinema is that right i did before episode one of phantom menace (laughs) the phantom menace not a phantom menace does that mean that the advert was actually better than the film you pay to see? Like it's, oh, it's inspired yeah. you much more. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So you paid for the advert essentially, um, but yeah, and that's that's a great story. And those adverts were great, but uh, you know oh. we've uh, we, we've come together for a shared love of the Dreamcast. Um, but not just that, uh, we like all games really, like all consoles. We're not we're not fussy. We're not fussy. We're not picky at all about what, what we play our games on. So we wanted to, we wanted to talk about games that came out, you know, on all consoles uh, while the Dreamcast was current. Um and the reason that we picked 97 to 08 is because the Dreamcast released in 1998 in Japan and the last officially licensed game for the Dreamcast uh, was released in Japan in 2007, which I think was called Karus, Karaus, something along those lines. So it's a shmup. Um, so, and then I just decided to add a, a year either side because I just, I just wanted to, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, so we have three podcasts that we do. I say three podcasts. We have three types of episodes that we do for the Dreamcast Years podcast. We have the main show or, or the OG show, as we like to call it, uh, which sees us discussing a particular year with a guest talking about what went on that year in terms of news, music, movies and more. And then we focus on the big game releases of that year and decide if they were game changers, just games, or a bit shit. Uh, our guests have included the likes of Corey Marshall, as we said, the English voice of Rio from Shenmue, uh, as well as people like Tom Charnock, who's the founder of the Dreamcast Junkyard. Uh, myself, Rich and Steve will then decide what our picks for the best game of that year are in the Game of the Year edition podcast. Uh, we each get one minute to pitch our game. And then we have a discussion about it, and the choices are then put to Twitter, where a poll decides which of our choices becomes the definitive DCY game of that year. Oh, and whoever's choice loses has a handicap in their next pitch, which is kind of fun. Um, mm-hmm. My favourite was fun. definitely Rich's mum absolutely uh, pitching in his stead. That was great. <laughs> maybe, maybe our best one. 
I think so. And Stan. I think so. And uh, finally, we have our deep dive episodes uh, where we take a particular topic and have an in-depth chat about it. We've covered the Dreamcast itself, the Sonic games, and even the Sonic movie. And today's episode is going to be one of those deep dives. And to keep it in brand, on brand, on brand for Radio Sega, we're going to discuss games that Sega developed and or published after the demise of the Dreamcast. Uh, Sticking to our golden years premise, we're looking specifically at games that released in the EU before the end of 2008. How's that sound? Sounds good. Yeah. Awesome. Um, we'll, we'll, come, we'll come back to the podcast at the end of the show and have another chat about it. Um, but let's move on to the games themselves for now. Um, we've each chosen two games that we want to discuss. And then probably at the end, we'll also have a bit of a chat about the ports of Dreamcast games to other systems that happened as well. Um, so, Rich, I've got you on my list first. All right. Um, <laughs> so the first game that we've got so this is um, I think this is quite a special game actually uh, because it's the first time I don't know if it's the first time I think it is the first time that Sega and Nintendo properly collaborated on something um, after Sega became a third party only company um, and this is the GameCube game F-Zero GX what made you pick this one Rich? Um, well with F-Zero I never actually played this on the GameCube originally I actually got to play it when it when I got the Wii um, and then picked up the disc. Um, mm. So much of it comes from my love for F-Zero-X and N64. And mm. I've always wanted to see... Around that time, I was desperate to have a follow-up to that game because I absolutely adored it on N64. And the one on the GameCube, slash Wii, did everything that I feel the N64 version lacked, and that was having just incredible visuals... It was locked in at 60 frames per second. The fact that it was yeah, Sega developing a Nintendo property. Um, I believe they used um, an enhanced version of the uh, the engine for a Super Monkey Ball, which I don't yeah. actually understand seeing that becoming a futuristic <laughs> racer at breakneck uh-huh. speed. But I just found it to be... Just an incredible futuristic racer. I mean, I had a, a real good diet of the Wipeout games and Extreme G games at that time, but this was so goddamn fast, punishingly difficult to the point I reckon it probably would deter some people from playing. But it, mm. it, it just it had all the elements. It, it, it felt familiar to what was on N64 previous, but it did so much more. You had a, a, a story, like a campaign mode, that had like nine chapters, I think, and you played as Captain Falcon... And it was just incredible. It, it was a Nintendo property, but it was drenched in that like Sega attitude and aesthetic. It felt brash and arcadey, but it was all the characters that you knew from Nintendo. Um, yeah. It was just incredible. Um, I Again, I've not had too much exposure to the GameCube. I'm sorry about that, but... This, to me, it looks better than I think most games that came in the following generation. I I could look at PS3, some PS3 and some Xbox 360 games and just say, this one GameCube game looks vastly superior. I I don't know how they pulled it off because it was so fast, but it retained all that visual fidelity as well. And it didn't sacrifice Mm. it like the N64 one did, which was stripped down to bare bones just to keep the speed. Mm. Yeah. but yeah, I absolutely adore this game. Um, I really hope it gets released on the Switch because I know we're not going to get an F Zero sequel anytime soon, if ever. But 
mm-hmm. I hope they bring it to the Switch if they actually decide to bring GameCube games to the uh, the virtual, you know, <laughs> virtual library. So that'd be neat, and yeah. that'd be the only time I'll play it because I've never played it for the GameCube, and I think it's very pricey to buy now. Oh, guarantee. Um, I believe so. It's not one that you can just easily pick up. And actually, I never played the N64 F Zero game either. Incredible. I only played the SNES one. But this is where, so you know, we 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 tease you for not playing games, but you have a knowledge of things like N64 that perhaps me and Steve don't. Mm, I never owned yeah. an N64, and yeah. um, and this game F Zero GX on the GameCube. While I did own a GameCube, this is one that I didn't ever pick up for it. And um, just to add as well, so it was Amusement Vision. Um, who developed this with Nintendo who's a subsidiary yeah. of Sega and it released in 2003 on the GameCube and there was a there was an arcade version as well called F-Zero AX yeah. uh, which is interesting um, that was Steve, like a collaboration between Nintendo Namco, Namco and Sega which was actually uh, quite nuts so, that's very interesting yeah hmm. So I did you play this one Steve? no so I did play the game uh, the N64 F-Zero um, okay. And yeah, Ridge is right. That was buttery smooth, but the graphics were extremely simple. It was extremely stripped back. And it's the kind of game. So, I mean, I'm no F Zero fan. I don't hate it or anything, but it's it's not. I don't know a bunch about it, but it does feel like the kind of game, you know, fut- fut- futuristic racer where speed is super important. So on the N64 version, it has all it has all of the speed, but the graphics are very simple. Uh, whereas I'm watching a video of this now um, of GX, and it looks really impressive. It looks really really nice. Um, and those tracks. So the video that I'm watching now, it has one of those tracks where it's just like a giant cable where that you're riding on the outside of. And it seems like gravity does is not a thing. Like you just race on the outside of this cable, and you can go under it and over it. Is that right? Is that one of the tracks in there? Yes. There's the one. Oh, what was it called again? Now it's like a massive like cylinder, isn't it? Yeah. That was in the N64 one as well, and it's like wild. Because... It looks kind of fucking awesome, actually. It looks yeah. pretty <laughs> cool. I'm into it. It looks really nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've actually completely forgot what that track's called. I think is it. I think it might be Big Blue. I think it is. Yes. Okay. I think it's Big Blue. But yeah, there's one thing I liked about this, I don't remember that being prominent in N64 one, was there was a real like risk and reward system. So depending on how you drove your ship, for instance, if you hit like a speed boost on the track, but you got just the outer edge of it, so you're close to the wall, you'd get like a double boost. You could actually oh. clip the sides to get more speed, or clip the sides of the track to get more speed, but obviously, as you did that more and more, you'd deplete your shield and energy. So you had to kind of balance, do I want more speed? Am I willing to give up energy? Will I just you know, crash in a ball of flames? So yeah. it's, it's very different almost, to like wipe out. Almost like a kind of proto-burnout like burnout kind of do-risky-moves, benefit-from-it type stuff. Yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah, That's so... Cool. And it was just bloody hard as well. So hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's very Sega, though, to bring something like that into a, a different property. Like, you know, they're, they're bringing those arcade uh, heritage ideas. You know, you, arcade's all about risk and reward as well, right? In terms of you yeah. have to spend money in order to yeah. uh, get further. And, you know, and, and they add interesting things into the game in order to kind of get you to give them more money. And mm-hmm. Sega's been always very good at that. So it's nice that that Sega got involved with this because it's just the kind of game, you know, th- things like Crazy Taxi uh, were very much in that risk-reward category. 
mm-hmm. you think that Sega brought something that Nintendo couldn't to F Zero? Is is that what makes it as good as it is? This game. I don't know because I know from like reading back about the uh, development of the game, I know Nintendo being Nintendo, they were very strict about how the game was developed and that it was basically close to their their idea, their vision. Like you needed, it was always kind of like when you get Disney telling a filmmaker, you know, absolutely, we, we've got you on board to do this one thing, but we want you to do it very much within our studio system and keep it safe. Nintendo didn't want mm. Sega, I don't think, to flex their muscle too much and bring in things that they thought would work. They wanted them to make a very much Nintendo game. Um, mm. I do think that there was, I think, in terms of the aesthetic, you know, loud rock music. I mean, I know that soundtrack was, it's the soundtrack is synonymous with the F Zero games, but I think Sega did give it a bit more edge than you'd be used to in a Nintendo game. Mm. I mean, all the all the all the songs, the soundtrack that you're used to are still in this game, but a lot more crunching guitars, and I don't think they had mm. the classic Sega vocals in the music, but I, I think they they did they they, gave, they did give it that Sega energy, I guess. But I think in terms of gameplay, um, I couldn't really say if Nintendo would have done it the same way or not. We'll probably never know. But um, Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it felt like a Sega arcade cabinet, but it was with a Nintendo license. And it, I, I just feel that is kind of like the other game I'm going to bring up. I think it was just quite... Um, mind-blowing at the time to see these companies kind of, you know, working together, a bit of corporate synergy. Yeah. Um, is, is this Does this mark the very first time that happened, Sega and Nintendo? You... Um, in terms of working on a property together, I think, yes, but the, the first mm. Sega game that came to a Nintendo console was, I think, Sonic Advance. But that yes. was obviously just a, oh, a, a, a Sega game yeah. for a Nintendo console, whereas this is Sega working on a mm. Nintendo property, which is interesting. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. It's a weird series, F Zero, because I feel like it's very highly regarded, but is it just not as well regarded in Japan? Is that why we don't see any more of them or as much of them as we would like? Mm. I generally don't know, because I think there's only been four games in total. Five, if you maybe include the one that was released on the uh, 64DD. Um, oh, okay. Because <laughs> I think there was one. There was one on the handheld, wasn't there? I'm sure there's one on the Game Boy Advance. I think. I believe yeah, there was. Yeah. Yeah, but otherwise it was yeah the snares in 64 on the GameCube. But I I just don't know what Nintendo. If it's just Nintendo doing Nintendo. Mm. Because mm. I can't see. I mean, I I've never really looked into how racing games or this kind of racing game are perceived in the East. But I don't know. I don't know. I've never, I've not known it to. From what I've read, I, I don't, I'm not aware of it being like a flop in Japan. Um, so, because like know. you it's... were talking about the soundtrack, and there's that one song from F Zero that like everybody knows, and it's like you hear it, and you're like, yeah, yeah, like that's a Nintendo the Mute City one, I think it is. Yeah, that's a Nintendo awesome. track, like, and that's synonymous yeah. with Nintendo games. But it's, I always forget that it's from F Zero. Because it just yeah exactly I don't know it's weird like that series just doesn't seem to get the attention that it apparently seems to deserve. Yeah, it's a shame. I I wonder if perhaps and and again this is Nintendo more than Sega, but um I'm you know there's um on a Sega radio station um I'm wondering if it will get a renaissance like um 
Fire Emblem did. Maybe. So Fire Emblem has always been fairly big in Japan, but it got a proper huge renaissance when the West finally took to it and they went crazy with making new games. But then it might be the other way around, I guess. You say when they get get 15 of zero characters in the next Smash game. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Maybe it's just the opposite way around with this. Maybe we need Japan to embrace F-Zero more uh, and we'll Mm. finally get one. But we'll see. I guess Mm. we'll see. I definitely like Sega to work on it again if we do get another F-Zero game because by by all accounts, GX might be the best one in the series, I think. Yeah. Would you say that, Rich? Yeah, I would say mm-hmm. so. Yeah, I mean, I think I've probably still got fondest memories of the uh, of of um, the N sixty four one, but as a game, I would say GX is superior, definitely. Cool. Yeah, cool. I mean, what you said about it feeling like a Sega arcade cabinet—that's what we like about the Dreamcast, right? So it's it's yeah. cool mm-hmm. that they yes. could keep doing that after the Dreamcast yeah. was a thing. Absolutely. Indeed. Um, yeah. I'd be interested to know when they started developing this, actually. There must be some information about it, but it was released uh, kind of July 2003 in in Japan. So you'd imagine mm-hmm. most games take, what, a year and a half, two years to develop at least. Mm-hmm. So they must have started working on that probably end of 2001 or mid-2001. So mm, maybe off. very shortly after the discontinuation of the Dreamcast, they started working on it, perhaps. So very interesting. Cool. All right. So... Moving on, uh, Steve, we've got one of your choices mm-hmm. here, which is, again, an interesting choice. And for, I, I, for some reason, I'd forgotten, one, that Sega developed it, and two, that it was within our time period. Mm. For some reason, it just didn't... It, it, I'm very used to... So Yakuza's only got popular in the West fairly recently, I yeah, think. Yeah, that's right. Um, but in actual fact, it began much, uh, much earlier than that in... Um, in Japan, and we did get the games over here. Mm-hmm. And the game I'm talking about, of course, is uh, Yakuza, uh, or Yakuza, or however you'd like to pronounce it. Um, and that is a PS2 game. It is. That um, I'm trying to find the date of it now. I did have this up on my screen. Uh, people listening, they, we always do this. Uh, oh, it came out in 2005 <laughs> in Japan. So well within our yes, time frame. Here. September. But what is it about this game that you that you like so much? So it came out in the EU actually, uh, September two thousand six. So it is mm. it is still within our time. Um, but I, 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 I kind of cheated on this one because we were talking about uh, Sega games released within this time frame, developed or published, and although this is one of those, uh, I never actually played this on the PS two. Um, I didn't play Yakuza until I was always aware of it and whenever I saw screenshots or videos of it I always thought that looks really cool but uh, I never actually got the chance to play this Um, it did very badly um, in the west so they uh, localized it they they voiced it they gave them all English voices um, uh, including Mark Hamill Mark Hamill is in that game weirdly Um, but then it was a complete flop um, so it, it's it's a it's it's kind of hard to describe what Yakuza is, but basically you play uh, as the title would suggest um, a member of the Yakuza in Japan, and you hang out in a fictional part of Tokyo called um, I God, it's escaping me, Kamurocho, <laughs> Kamurocho. It's uh, called. That sounds like it. Yeah, it's the entertainment district. 
an entertainment district in to in Tokyo, and you so it, it kind of it has the trappings of being a crazy crime game, but actually you play um, the protagonist is called Kiryu, and he's actually like a really nice guy, and he's mm. yes he's in the Yakuza, yes he does shakedowns and stuff, but actually he's got a heart of gold and he just wants to help people, and the only people that he punches are people who who deserve it because they're putting other people in danger or they're attacking him. Um, and it's super, super story-driven, and that's what I love about these games. Uh, and although I never played the first one, I have played the remake, uh, Yakuza Kiwami, which came out a couple of years ago, uh, and that is an extremely faithful remake, because the original's a PS2 game, so it was a long-ass mm -hmm. time ago. Um, but this is very, very faithful. It just looks a lot nicer, and they've ditched the uh, English voices in there as well. Yeah. Um, but I've been back, I've watched videos, so I have confirmed how faithful it is, and I have confirmed how terrible the English voice tracks um, are in the See, that's, Western release. That's weird, because I'm just looking now, and the voice cast, in terms of star power, mm -hmm. you know, you've mentioned Mark Hamill, um, there's Michael Rosenbaum, mm -hmm. I'm not sure who he is actually, uh, Michael Madsen, mm -hmm. Eliza wow. Dushku, yep. Rachel Lee wow. Cook. Wow. So, like, there are big names yes. okay. in there. So, so you got to remember back back in 2006 um they pushed this game as being a crazy crime game uh mm -hmm. at, at, to the likes of you know your grand theft autos and all that they were like this will succeed in the west if we make it into this and they turned it into a, in into a crime story kind of i mean the, obviously they were restricted to within what actually happened in the game but all of the voices are like super edgy and they're very mm -hmm. cringy in 2006, particularly Mark Hamill. It's not obviously it's not the voice actor's fault. That's the direction that they got, but it's super cringe to go back to. Mm. Um, whereas the Japanese version is far more sincere, and it's far more about telling like a personal story. It is it is the story of the of the protagonist, not about crazy crime stuff. Um, mm. So I don't know if the Japanese track was in the original or not. I, I'm not sure if you even had a choice at the time. I should imagine that you, that you didn't. So even though mm. I'm kind of cheating with this one, I think it's important <laughs> to note this game because although it's taken a while, it has finally gained traction in the West and it has become uh, quite popular over here now to the point where they have remade mm -hmm. them all pretty much mm. and released them all here in the West um and i like it's always been popular in japan but i don't know how much it was held back by just being like popular in one region but it does mm. seem now like that studio um is flourishing because they're just making games constantly making remakes they've made a spin-off called judgment which is also brilliant it's really, really good. Uh, possibly the best one in the series. I don't know, but they, they, Ooh. they voiced. They gave that English voice tracks, um, and it was far better um, than the original back in two thousand six that they tried <laughs> to do. Um, and then Yakuza Seven, uh, recently released, also has an English voice track, which is also great. They kind of get it now. They understand what this game is supposed to be, and they're doing it right. Mm -hmm. But I think this is a really important series and i think it's important to note that 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 this happened actually you know like 15 years ago uh it's yeah. just taken a bit of time for the west <laughs> to make sense of it and go oh okay i understand what this is 
And now yeah. many people, myself included, absolutely love it. It's mm. so it's literally only a few years after, so it's about four years after the Dreamcast was discontinued that it came out. Um, I'm guessing for because it's a fairly large game in, in terms of scope. The first one, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. you, you, it's it's open world to a degree. It's only a small open world, but it's you can go anywhere within the world, right? And visit places. There's loads of mini games and side things to do, and yeah, anywhere all that kind of stuff. So it's anywhere big. within that district, yes, in yeah, um, yeah. in Camarillo. And it's because of that, because of the setting and the small open world of it, and because it's Sega. Uh, as a lot of people who say that it's the seen as the, sp- the spiritual successor of Shenmue, is that, which, is that something you'd agree with? I think so. A lot of the reasons why I love it are the same things that I enjoyed about Shenmue. It doesn't have the day-night cycle, um, mm. so it doesn't have that kind of anchoring in reality that Shenmue has, but it does feel extremely authentic. The like the district is um, fictional, but when you walk around the streets, the amount of attention to detail that they put in there, and the amount that they want you to feel like you are in Tokyo, um, is like it's a huge driving force behind uh, behind that game, and they put a lot of work into it, and it really pays off. The um, atmosphere and the visuals in this game are. Stunning. They were good on the original. They were good on the PS2 version too. Obviously, they're showing their age these days. Um, but the, the the point of this series is 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 because all of them have been set in Camarocho over various dif- different time periods. So it changes mm. and grows as you go on. But the point of this series has been telling stories in this district and giving you an authentic feel of being in uh, this district of tokyo and that and and that's why i love it that's why i think it's so good hmm. you, phil um, um the acute sorry andrew no sorry i was going to ask you a question but you've uh, you... <laughs> go for it <laughs> no i was just going to say i think looking back now the whole shenmue thing is actually kind of a mistake i made because i will i won't lie that it was a real slow burn for me getting into the yakuza games and it actually caused me quite a bit of um, heartache and frustration because I could see this was the kind of game that is absolutely perfect for me. Very heavy in terms of narrative, very quite simplistic in kind of gameplay. Um, but something for me just wasn't gelling. And I think I look more at now that I think the mistake I was making was that I was expecting quite a Shenmue-esque experience. But Yakuza, I find the gameplay is broken up a lot more. And the storytelling, I think, is a lot denser than the Shenmue games. It's almost kind of like the video game equivalent of like a telenovela. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, my wife's been watching me play it a lot, and she doesn't really care what games I'm playing. But she even said to me the other week, like, this is actually a really good story. And she just watches me play it. And if a cutscene comes on, she'll look up. She'll stop for what she's doing, and she wants to see what's happening next. And it just pulls you in. And I think now I've actually kind of got it. And I'm currently playing uh, Kiwami on a uh, Series X, and yeah, I'm I'm really starting. To, it's starting to click now. I mean, I tried Kiwami, I tried Zero, I went back to Kiwami, and mm. I think it's yeah. I'm start. It's it's. I've basically it's. I've been bitten by the bug now, and I fully understand why I like the series. It does scratch the same itch that I think uh, Shemu does. It, it transports me to a place that I'm quite in love with, and that's obviously Japan, be it modern day, mm. be it you know 80s, 90s, doesn't matter. And Shemu was kind of mm. responsible for that. So 
getting to do that again is just really cool. And Kiryu is just an amazing character as well. I absolutely love the man. Yeah, yeah absolute sweetheart. <laughs> he is. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. And I Hell would yeah. say the combat's definitely better than Shemu. So. <laughs> Nice. That's, it's more. Uh, it's way more diverse, and uh, yeah. yeah, I love it. I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty low bar. But um, I, Ooh. I, I, <laughs> you know, it sucks that I couldn't get you into MGS. But I, I, I love, I love that you've uh, that you've got into uh, Yakuza. That's great. It just sucks yeah. that a lot of the other sequels aren't on Xbox. I, I can't get three, four, or five, can I? I mean, it's pretty much zero, Kwame no. one, Kwame two, and then we've got like a dragon, and that's it. So it's a bit of a shame. Yeah, it's a shame you can't play Jud- Judgment either because I think that's that is probably yeah. the best one in the series. But there yeah. there might be a way at some yeah. point in the future. Yeah, Hopefully. I'm sure there will be. Yeah, I, I, mm. I'm not sure if they're on PlayStation now or not. But if they are and you have a decent PC that's able to stream it, then you might be able to do that way. But yeah, I, they're also games I need to get. I only own Yakuza Zero, and mm-hmm. I feel like I would like to play them all. So at some point, no doubt, I will probably own every single. I mean, Yakuza uh, game. W- warning with that, however, these games are ridiculously long. Uh, mm-hmm. Zero took me about eighty hours. Um, wow! And when they just before they were releasing the most recent one, Like a Dragon, they said this is going to be double the length, double the Yakuza. <sighs> Uh, I don't okay. know. I haven't confirmed how long it is, but that's pretty intimidating. So just you know, be warned before you go in. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Is, is Judgment a long game? Is yes. That, is, is that, that a shorter basic experience? Playing oh, okay. through or is that like a completionist kind of? Um, Yakuza Zero. I was not a completionist, and it took me eighty hours. Yikes! Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's not every Yikes. single karaoke song. No, every single... no, 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 no. I mean, <laughs> no, no. Capsule toy machine. Okay, great. awesome, fantastic. Um, just to point out as well before we move on to something else um, what I found interesting um, so Yakuza Like a Dragon which is the newest game Like a Dragon is actually the Japanese name of the franchise it is right it's it's not called Yakuza over there correct it's called Ryuga Gotoku I can't pronounce things in Japanese I couldn't do any better Um, (laughs) no but that is Like a Dragon it's called Like a Dragon over there that's right Um, which reminds me as well that they did a similar thing with Resident Evil when 7 came along and they just called that Resident Evil 7 Biohazard so yeah they seem to be merging these two um halves of franchises that get called different things Mm -hmm. elsewhere the the title of uh like a dragon is in reference to the dragon tattoos that kiryu has and he's referred to as the dragon of dojima in the game there is always a point in every Mm -hmm. game where he strips to the waist and shows off his tattoos and it is always (laughs) fucking awesome and they usually do it by um, tearing the top half of their suit off in one fluid motion before fighting, it's great. It's great. <laughs> For the record, I'm going to switch. I'm going to switch to the Japanese dialogue when I get like a dragon. I I, I can tell the English is much better, but mm-hmm. I have to play these games in Japanese. It just it, nah, yeah. it doesn't work for me. I don't like seeing those characters just speaking mm. like us. It just, fair, just fair. it weirds me out. I can't do it. I can't do it. From what I saw of Steve playing, I quite I quite enjoyed the English voice acting and the fact that George Takei uh, Take is in it as well. He is. Oh, wow. cool. He is. Yeah. Wow. Um, all right. Let's uh, let's move on to uh, another Sega game that released after the Dreamcast, um, and this one is my pick, and it is a sequel to a Dreamcast game, 
we didn't get a huge amount of these, but this one came out uh, on the Xbox. Um, I believe it was 2002 this released, and it was Jet Set Radio Future. So what's interesting about this game is that it's one of the games that we're going to talk about today that actually started life on the Dreamcast. So we can't say the same for F-Zero, we can't say the same for Yakuza. Jet Set Radio Future was meant to be a Dreamcast game. Um, it was being developed for the Dreamcast before they pulled the plug and they just continued to develop it and they ported it into the Xbox instead. Um, there's a bit of a, uh, there's a whole thing there between uh, Sega and Microsoft where, you know, just as the Dreamcast was breathing its final breaths, it was dying off, uh, Sega tried very, very hard to strike up some kind of deal with Microsoft in terms of getting Dreamcast games to play on the new Xbox console or um, I think there was talk at one point of Microsoft even potentially buying Sega. But, um, you know, none of, that, none of that came to pass. But what did happen is that Sega released quite a lot of the games that were meant to come out for the Dreamcast on the Xbox. Mm. So we got things like Gun Valkyrie, we got, um, and we got, like, Jetsa Radio Future. Uh, GT, uh, Sega GT 2002 mm. as well, yeah. I believe, as well. So... Xbox got a lot of these games. Uh, other other consoles got them too. We got um, Super Monkey Ball on the GameCube, which was originally going to be on the Dreamcast. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. So, but Jet Set Radio Future, you know, that was a direct sequel to, you know, one of the games that most people would say is one of the best Dreamcast games that there is. Jet Set Radio is a phenomenally good game. It's uh, both graphically and game pe- gameplay wise, it's 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 peak Sega basically. Mm-hmm. You know that cell shading, gra- cell shaded graphics, um, the ja- the Japanese setting, you know, set in Tokyo. The fact that it's about people on inline skates um, tagging walls through Tokyo while also escaping uh, a very cartoonish police chief and his uh, band of police officers. Um, Great game, and then they released a sequel to it um, for the Xbox, which took the graphics even further. Like that is a very mm. nice looking game, um, and gave it, you know, a, a bit of a twist in the fact that you know it was it was uh, it was a harder game than the first one. There was a lot more, you know, it, was, it, it ramped up the difficulty. Um, they also set a lot of the stuff at night, which they hadn't really done much of or any of in the first game, and took advantage of the Xbox um, graphical power to you know to have lots of nice lighting effects and neon lights and all that kind of stuff. It's it's a very interesting game, and unfortunately, it did incredibly badly, <laughs> and we never saw Jet Set Radio oh. again. So, have you, have either of you guys played this one? I've not played Future, no. No. No? Steve? Uh, I have, um, but much like the first Jet Set Radio, um, I really liked it, but really didn't like playing it. I've never gelled right, with okay. how Jet Set Radio feels. Uh, I must be doing something wrong, because plenty of other people are fine controlling that game, but I always feel mm. like I'm trying ice skates for the first time. Uh, and just falling on my ass. Uh, I'm very bad at that game, and and I can't work out what I'm supposed to be doing (laughs) at all. Uh, (laughs) But it looks looks gorgeous, though. It's a stunning game, Mm -hmm. and I, not unlike the first one, I think I I maybe preferred the colour palette of the first game. The second game is very, like, green. It's it's got a very mm. sort of like futuristic-y kind of green hue, like that is very prominent yeah. throughout. But it still looks amazing, and it still has that um, cell shaded graphics engine that like really pops even more so on the Xbox than it did on the Dreamcast. And yeah. I just I, I you know no other game looked like that at the time, and no, no other game like it felt 
it felt really daring. It felt really ballsy to do that, to make a game that looked like this. And mm-hmm. the game is about like the game is about rebellion, right? Like those that car- yeah. that cartoony police chief, like that's a you're tagging walls in a fascist dystopia and the fact that the game also looks rebellious too in that it is unlike any 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 other game um yeah. it the whole thing feels really coherent i just i just wish i could play yeah. it <laughs> did they um, do, do did they up that. did they like actually up the uh you know, the enemy presence in this one because obviously i know in the first game it got to the point where you had like the military coming after you and uh did this one? Did, did future go one further, with like you know the the aggressors as it were? Well, like space force or um, no, why so, not? <laughs> <laughs> not that I know of. I, d- I don't think so. I think maybe there was more enemies to deal with at a time, but I don't think they kind of upped it in terms of. And uh, you know, it was slightly different in the fact that you know you were you'd been fast forwarded to future Tokyo, so there was you know different enemies, different um, rival factions as well, and. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it increased the difficulty, so there was you know, there was more of a presence there. It, it, it felt more difficult to do what you wanted, but also it felt. I don't know. So Steve mentioned the coherence of the game. So I mean, it is incredibly. You know, the first game, the graphics, the music, which is you know, the, you can't talk about Jet Set Radio without talking about the music. It's you know a part of the experience, um, and the gameplay. They all came together um, to create this experience and jet set radio future did the same but because it had already been done mm. i guess i guess it just it didn't feel quite as as coherent i don't think the music sat as well not as well but you know it it, it didn't um i can remember the music for jet set radio the original now I'm, I'm listening to it in my head as we speak i can hear it all i can hear the the original tracks that were created i can hear the licensed tracks like um, birthday cake by chibo mato which is one of my favorites now um great song um i can't remember any of the music from jet set radio future um i remember it looking very nice i remember it playing slightly better like the controls were a bit better because i agree with you steve in the fact that it was I, I had trouble controlling that game. It felt difficult to control. It, 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 you're, you know, saying that it was like being on ice, ice skates for the first time. It's exactly that. Like trying to turn in that game mm-hmm. was a, a pain. Um, but it felt like it was better overall. And I felt like the world was better. Like it's it, in the first game, it felt like little chunks of world that you were going yeah. to and exploring. And the second game, sure, the second game was the same, but it felt more connected and it felt like one more coherent area that you were in even if you were going to different places each level um i enjoyed it for that but i think that overall it's uh, it's more of a forgettable game because i don't think many people can really remember much about it and that speaks to the fact that jet set radio ended with that game i guess maybe mm, bummer mm. <laughs> i do I, know. I do wonder well i mean you made the point of saying it is all of these things, but Jet Set Radio was also these things, so they just kind of did it again, but not quite as good. But I have mm. to imagine, given the given the sales of the Dreamcast compared to the Xbox, w- would this have been the first Jet Set Radio a lot of people would have played? Oh, um, probably. Yeah, I'd imagine so. But then I, I mean, I don't think it. I'm, I'm going to have to look at what we're talking. But I don't think it sold incredibly well on the Xbox either. So people ha- had no history of this game. You're probably right, and therefore they um, wouldn't know that it was mm. good, and maybe didn't pick it up. But also, it got bundled in with a lot of Xbox. Oh, did it? Oh, right. 
um, Jet Set Radio and Sega GT 2002 were bundled together in some... G- uh, I think you got them for free um, as part of the package for certain uh, bundles of Xbox... What, uh, Xbox, Xbox One, but it's going forward a bit, uh, for Xbox, original Xboxes. Um, but even that wasn't enough, because I, I do also remember that you go into places like C- CEX or SEX, as they like to call themselves, but I refuse. It's, it's it, No, it's CEX. Um, and there would just be case upon case of yeah. those two games, because it was on one disc, I think, and it had like a promotional thing across the top on the box, and you just see so many of those. So those, the, you know, people would get the Xbox with these games, and they just trade in the Sega games. So mm. people just weren't trying them, I don't think, or, you know, yeah, I mean this fe- this feels like the kind of thing that could come back at some point. I don't know that it will it work now. I think it would work. I agree. I think it would work now. Yeah. Well, there, there is a game. So say you're making it, but it's called Bomb Rush Funk or something, or Bomb mm-hmm. Funk, uh, something like that. It's by another company. Um, it's got the same um, person who did the music for Jet Set Radio. It looks the same aesthetically. It looks right. like it plays the same. Hmm. Um, I'm going to have to find out what the name of this game is now. Um, it's kind of like what R8 Games have done with Pacer. They've tried to really capture the aesthetic and the feel of a, a series, in this case Wipeout, getting some of the old employees mm, on board, yeah. and it just screams as an unofficial sequel. So it's it's nice that they're doing this for people that are just like crying out for it, a new game that but just aren't getting it. Yeah, it's um. So this is called Bomb Rush Cyberfunk, and um. So it's yeah, and it's by the developers Team Reptile, and they have the same. Like I said, they had the same person who'd done the music for Jet Set Radio. Uh, I can't remember his name. Oh, it's um Hideki Naganuma. Uh, he's quite vocal on Twitter as well and says some very odd things. Um, but if you, it's very strange. Um, but if you look, if you ever have a look at the, even just the still images of uh, Bomb Rush Cyberfunk. Oh, yeah. It oh, looks God, yeah. like Jet Set Radio. It does. Like all over. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it, but I, it's a shame that Sega aren't doing it because even though Jet Set Radio Future may have been more forgettable and maybe people didn't give it a chance because. You know, the, on the Dreamcast, something like Jet Set Radio, you were there for the, you were there for Sega. You were, you were, you had a Dreamcast because you wanted to play Sega games more than anything else. I think so. You got something like Jet Set Radio, and you'd want to play it. And not just that, but you know, the, the the Dreamcast didn't have as many games. Whereas the Xbox, it was this brand new console. It had a bunch of new stuff. It had Halo. You know, it had all this new IP that people wanted to try out. And this game from Sega, who you know, in 2002, they were probably still reeling from in people's minds as being the company that had to drop out of the hardware market. Mm-hmm. So people maybe weren't going to give them as much of a chance as they'd give to you know, Microsoft, who were brand new and they were bringing out things like Halo, which people really enjoyed. So I think it suffered for that. I think it suffered because people had a bad idea of Sega at the time and there was just too much going on at the X on the Xbox for people to really care. Um and it's the same for most of the games that were there. I mean, Crazy Taxi 3 came to the Xbox. You know, Crazy Taxi, which is a fantastically popular game, got a sequel. And that bombed as well. And we never saw another Crazy Taxi game in the same vein again. Mm. So, you know, it's uh, I just I just think it was wrong time and wrong console, perhaps, for getting yeah. sequels to Dreamcast games. So, but there you go. That's uh, that's Jet Set Radio Future for you. Um, I'm sure we're on Radio Sega, so I'm sure Radio Sega will play some of the music from Jet Set Radio Future at some point, and I need to hear it again because I just can't remember it, unfortunately. <laughs> um, 
Moving on, uh, let's talk about Rich's second pick for mm-hmm. Sega game. And uh, Rich, this is another one that they developed with Nintendo. Which one's this one? This one's covered in Nintendo DNA. This is um, Mario <laughs> oh, and God. Sonic at the Olympic Games. That wasn't meant to be a side eye emoji comment. <laughs> Very but... dodgy comment there. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, <laughs> Mario and Sonic at the, uh, the Olympic Games. And that was released for the Nintendo Wii in 2007. Cool. Um, and so that was for that was in um, which which Olympics was that for again? Sorry. Oh God, it's gone now. That would have been the Beijing, I think it was. Oh, two thousand and eight. Yeah, Beijing. Yes. Yeah. So they released it for that, and yes. um, obviously they've recently released the twenty twenty version for the mm-hmm. Tokyo Olympics, which never happened. <laughs> so um, why did you pick this particular game, Rich? I mean, I've always had quite. I don't. I don't know why, because I'm not really ever much. I've never been much of a sports person, but I have gravitated towards these uh, Olympic, multi-discipline games over the years. Whether it was a uh, Winter Games on the Commodore, um, and then Nagano Winter Olympics on the N64. So I've, I've something about them I've always liked. But this one obviously was quite historic in that it was for the first time you actually bringing Mario and Sonic together in one game. And that alone, would I was just like, it was a, such a massive selling point for me. And I think that that probably was the primary reason, along with, it was it was a, it was a genre, it was a gameplay style I was quite used to and I enjoyed. I like having all the different events, bringing the two worlds together. I just found that such an appealing part of the game. I mean, so you had basically, I think it was 15 or 16 characters altogether. You had about 24 different events. So you had all your usual athletics, archery, swimming, badminton. Everything that you'd expect in the Olympic Games was there. So it was quite a, a dense package. Um, I think coupled as well with the fact that it was for the Wii. And this was kind of like how people enjoyed um international track and field on the playstation where you were just mashing buttons this obviously brought in the motion controls which was quite interesting at the time so when you were like sprinting down the uh, athletics track you were obviously pumping the wiimote and the joy con joy con sorry wiimote nunchuck (laughs) (laughs) Um, and as if you were actually were running in your living room so it was quite a workout as well um and I found that quite fun. I mean, a lot of people say it was the perfect kind of party game. I never played this in that kind of setting. I was very much a solitary gamer. But I, for me, I still think the, the biggest, most appealing part of it was just the novelty of having the Mushroom Kingdom and characters from Mobius all slammed together in one title. Like it, it, it blew my... Um, if it was eight-year-old me back in 91 when I got my Mega Drive, I would never believe you. This would be a thing that would happen. So that alone was so special. I mean, I was never the Mario kid, but seeing Sonic sharing the cover and sharing you know, the game with what was his rival for so many years, mm-hmm. I just thought that was historic. And it was kind of... It was almost kind of the most symbolic game in a way post-Dreamcast. I mean, yes, by then... Sega had been making a number of games for years for other formats, but this was almost confirmation that like things have changed now. Like Sonic's not just on other formats, he's now on the same game with Mario. And obviously games that would follow on, we would get Sonic and Smash Brawl on the Wii. And it was just Yeah, I I just found it quite history making and it was wrapped up in a game, a genre that I enjoy quite a lot. 
Um, and it was just, yeah, a really, really cool package. I mean, some events aren't as good as others. I'm, I've always enjoyed the athletics more. Not a big fan of swimming, but it was it was just a really, really fun time. I, I really, really liked it. Did you play this one, Steve? Uh, I didn't. I didn't, sadly. I, I, I also have a lot of fond memories, though, of playing like old Olympic uh games you know full of um multi-discipline i believe rich uh yeah, described yeah. it as Best way I could put it. <laughs> yeah um i also have a lot of fun memories of playing those on the old on the very old consoles when i was wii so you know i have appreciation for these games as well they are hit and miss most of the time though you get some did this one have a diving uh diving I event i do believe it did yes so did, were you able to like make eggman dive and make him do pirouettes and twirls and stuff pretty sure there's no restrictions that sounds no, fun there's no restrictions <laughs> that sounds fun um yeah i i would you know i would like to play this i just i never owned a wii so i didn't play at the time but i it being the first time mario and sonic have appeared together in a game however is really important and i think rich put it really well when he says like this is post dreamcast and they're basically saying this is what sega is now we mm-hmm. Are, you know we make stuff now and we put it out in other places and i think a lot i think it would be easy to think that this would be kind of a lame way to do that for the first time like an olympic licensed game but actually i think you know given that the olympics is all about solidarity and and friendship and that i think it's actually kind of a really fitting way to do it mm-hmm. for the first mm-hmm. time uh, so i definitely mm-hmm. i definitely appreciate that about it it's just a shame then that sonic didn't go on to become a big franchise in its own right. I mean, you'd say, you know, you might say that with the fact that it has its own movie now, it's still a big franchise, but, you know, away from Sega's own consoles, Sonic hasn't flourished, really. No. I think we'd probably agree in saying yeah. that's the case. I, I yeah. think there could have been no Sonic games since the Dreamcast, and we still could have had that movie, and it would have been the same, I think. Like, it's... That Sonic movie didn't get made because, you know, Sonic has incredible games up to this point. Mm. And so I think you're right. In that nostalgia. Yeah, in that sense. It, it, they just don't know. I think they just don't know what to do with Sonic. And I don't know the answer mm. either. But no. It sounds like this was a good choice, though, because by all accounts, it's, it was a very good. It sold very well. It was a good choice for them, like you know, like Richard said, that they're showing that they are going to work with other companies now. They're they're not hardware manufacturer anymore. They they do, you know they had done it of course for a few years before this game came out, but this is the very much showing that they don't really care about you know being precious with their IP anymore. You know they'll they'll share it around as much as they can uh, to make a bit of money. Well, it's more mm-hmm. than that. Is it, it, it was it was special. <laughs> I think it was special seeing it, like, for me I was a, I was a Nintendo person up until the Dreamcast. Um you know, I had a, a SNES and a NES, so Mario was my uh console mascot console mascot of choice. Um but I came to really enjoy Sonic and I like the fact that you could see them both in a game together. And considering the fact that, you know, the Mega Drive and the SNES days, you know, the the first proper console wars, as, as it as it was as it was back then, it was Sonic versus Mario. So seeing them put that uh, that thing to bed and uh, get together and making a game, that's it's pretty special for pe- for people of our age and people a bit older than us. That's, yeah. that's a big deal. And I mean, being you know, you could be cynical about it and say, well, you know, Sega just did this to to make money, blah blah blah. But I can imagine that there was a lot of effort and time behind closed doors in discussion from men in suits uh, 
hashing this thing out because as mm. you said console giants directly opposed for a very long time coming together with their ips i bet that wasn't easy no no uh, like i wonder if there was I wonder if they settled on well Mario comes first in the title because alphabetically that's correct. Indeed. Or if they <laughs> or if or if they had to hash that out as well. Like who who comes first? I don't yeah, know. that's true. I would imagine because it was a Wii game and it was a Nintendo uh, console, yeah, I guess. I'd, I'd be like Nintendo like, no, Mario comes first because it's ours. <laughs> it's our game. <laughs> um but I mean it sounds like it sounds like a fun game and the only uh, Mario and Sonic at the Olympics I've played is a brief demo at EGX of the 2021. Yeah. Um have you played the 2021 Rich at all? Do you do you own it now? Yeah, I I played it against um I, I did play at AGX against one of the guys from uh, at the time the Switch Island podcast and I I was terrible. Absolutely terrible at it. I don't know why <laughs> if it was the pressure of being in a public setting but maybe all my like coordination went out the window doing like the long jump it was appalling <laughs> played it afterwards on the switch at home and did much better but i do like that one because it has the classic image Im- visuals in it so you can have like the 16-bit sonic and oh, that's right. mario yeah. it's yeah. really really quite cute it's it's really really nice um but yeah mm-hmm. it, it's good i've there's that and the original are the only ones i've played in the series i pretty much skipped the others i think i might have played one of the winter ones that came afterwards but mm. i think so much of it was just the novelty of that very first game that really stood out to me um and it being on the wii was such a perfect fit at the time i don't yeah. think you, they captured it as well in the you know, subsequent games fair fair enough yeah hopefully they'll continue to make these and uh be nice if one day we had more sonic and mario kind of crossovers yeah maybe that's what you do with sonic you Make a Mario game. <laughs> maybe that's the answer. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe somebody should try that. I mean, they've tried everything else, right? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> indeed. So, um, I mean, if you want to hear us talk more about Sonic, we did do a deep dive on the franchise uh, where we spoke about things like uh, Sonic Heroes and uh, the other games that came out in this time period. So, do take a listen to that. And um, we also did a deep dive on the Sonic movie as well. So, if you want to listen to us chat about you know, what we enjoyed about it, what we didn't enjoy about it, and our overall thoughts. And we had a bit of a chat at the end about video game movies in general. Uh, give that a listen to. Uh, so that's that. Steve, mm. your second choice then mm-hmm. is, uh, I think this is maybe the the latest game yes. that we've talked about, as in the one that released the, the, the nearest to where we are currently. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one that has been ported a few places as well since. And it's completely unique. It's not a... Uh, it's not an existing IP. It's uh, it's you know it's not something that came from the Dreamcast. It's not uh, working with another studio. It was a new IP for Sega. Uh, what game was that? That is a game called Valkyria Chronicles. Ooh. Mm. Oh. And this was for the PS3, I believe. Am I right? Yes. Saying that? Although I'm kind of cheating again. So I didn't play this at the time. Um, uh-huh. I uh, really wanted to. Uh, it looked awesome, but I didn't own a PlayStation 3, so I, I was right. not able to. However, as you've said, it has been ported many times uh, since, and yeah, so I, I've, I've played it, so I know, I know exactly how good it is, and it is thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly good. Um, yeah. The As a series, Valkyria Chronicles has been somewhat hit and miss. That latest one is very good, um, but this one, the original, um, is very very good it's one of my favorite one of my favorite games i think 
wow, wow. Um, and this one came out in 2008, yep. towards the end of it. So that's kind of on the cusp of our mm-hmm. what we discussed actually, on DCY. Like, and I, I was, I was having trouble picking uh, one of these two games to discuss here today. And then when I realised that Valkyria Chronicles is that old, I mean, it's you know, it's fairly recent in terms of the broad scope of things. But like, I, I didn't, I thought this was much more recent than 2008 because um, if you look mm. at screenshots of this game and if you look at cutscenes from this game it looks it still looks really nice um mm-hmm. it's it's this game has like a um, like a sketchbook feel like a sketchbook wa- wa- watercolor feel yeah um it, it, very uh, very impressive uh, uh, at the time and now i think i think it still looks really good so it, it's a uh, yeah. it's it's um so <sighs> It's a fictionalized version of World War Two. It's set in a place called Europa, which is, you know, obviously it's Europe in it. Um, and yeah. <laughs> you you are a country that is stuck between warring factions. Um, and you are, uh, you know, you, you're what's the word I'm trying to think think of? You're impartial. That's not the word. You're not committing. Yeah to either side yeah. but as it turns out your quaint little uh european uh place has a lot of resources that they both want so you get embroiled in this war uh and it has it's very story driven and that story is about the human side of conflict and you have a whole cast of characters um who are very well written very well fleshed out who are all friends with each other pre-war and then they all have to go to war together and it's about their struggles on the way. It's very anime, so like that sounds kind of heavy hitting, and at times it is, but it's it's mostly pretty anime, and like silly things happen on, on along there too, um, and you know hilarious anime misunderstandings, and so on and so forth. But it's it has got a lot of heart, and it has a really human story, um, which is nice because it's a it's a war game. But it's like not not really about the war. It's about those people. Mm. Um, it's also kind of hard. So I'm avoiding describing the genre because it's kind of hard to describe. But it's like sort of a, a, a turn-based strategy RPG where you your army you can see on like top-down view on a map. It's like pieces on a on a strategy map, and then you see the other mm. army across. The other side um, and you move your pieces around but then when you're actually like moving the tank or moving the unit or the soldier or the sniper or whatever it zooms down into the world and you actually control them in real time and mm. you have movement points that slowly deplete and you have action points so you can only shoot a certain number of times and yeah you move around in real time and you aim in real time as well so you're although there are a lot of stats because you level guys up because it's an rpg your aiming also counts so you have to aim the headshot or you have to aim the rocket launcher or whatever um and you're playing you're deploying and playing as the characters who are in the story as the group who are friends with each other who've who've had to go to war together and the game also has permadeath too so if one of them dies that's super sad uh and the story continues and that person is now dead um it's really good it's thoroughly thoroughly good sounds good yeah i mean listening to it as well and i'm i you know i've been looking at SegaRetro.org, which is a great resource for Sega fans for all the Sega games. It's uh, 
how a lot how we found a lot of the games that we're talking about today because they do it really well but um looking at their valkyria chronicles entry and just listening to you talk about it automatically sakura wars came to mind mm-hmm. which is a massive franchise for sega in japan never was really a big thing here in fact they didn't release any of the games until i think they released one for the wii and then they've done the recent re- remake uh, which came to the ps4 but before that you know it was a big dreamcast franchise started on the saturn came to the Dreamcast, was huge on the Dreamcast, um, and that was kind of a uh, a strategy game um, where you had relationships with people and stuff like that. So, and um, Sega Retro, in fact, say the history of it, it's, uh, Valkyrie Chronicles is actually the spiritual successor, kind of, to Sakura Wars. Oh, is it um, really? And many of, the, many of the same people who made Sakura Wars huh. made Valkyrie Chronicles. There's a lot of differences. There's a huge amount of differences. You know, they, they don't play exactly the same. There's much more of a, a visual novel element to Sakura Wars than there is mm-hmm. perhaps in Valkyrie Chronicles. And I think there's a lot more... Um, tactical stuff at work in in valkyria mm-hmm. chronicles than in sakura wars but I, I i can i mean just listening to you describe it i could picture sakura wars in my head still so so it's interesting even though it's a brand new ip it's it still kind of ties back to the dreamcast in in some way which is quite interesting hmm. and i mean it kind of looks i can imagine obviously the dreamcast wouldn't have been quite powerful enough to pull this off but when mm. you play valkyria chronicles it feels like I can imagine it being a Dreamcast game. It feels like a Sega game. Yeah, yeah. It's um, one thing to point out as well um, is that when we were discussing the topic that we're talking about today, which was Sega games released after the Dreamcast, you know, we we finished at 2008. And really, you know, like you said, Steve and Rich as well, it was very difficult to pinpoint Mm -hmm. games to talk about in this Mm -hmm. particular period of time because a lot of the ones that we know them for now released after 2008 you know the the big ones that we would associate with sega these days uh started after that so it's it's interesting and this but this is like yakuza as well it's a franchise that started during this time and just got bigger um as the years went on maybe valkyria chronicles not so much although i don't know how well regarded that is now it's compared to yakuza popular here but i think it's another series uh, series that is more popular in the east than it is in the west uh, but i don't know i might be making that up i'm not sure but it has it has a lot of entries in it that i don't know yeah. anything about because some of them were released like on the psp i think it's got like two psp games and those the are se- the direct numbered. sequel came out yeah yeah those are numbered two and games three came too, out on the psp yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what the deal is with that, but thankfully Vicaria Chronicles Four came out on the Switch, and uh, and that's also great. Mm. Uh, Rich, is this one that you've played? <laughs> no, by my uh, my relative silence, I have <laughs> in no way, shape, or form played these games. It sounds like it's something that just doesn't appeal to me. So, okay. yeah, so so it's not one that Steve's going to twist your arm on, get you to buy, and then you'll try and and just Most stop playing. Most certainly it. not. I, do you no. know? I I wouldn't even try with this one. I don't think. I think Rich is on record as not being an RPG guy. So indeed, <laughs> yeah, indeed. true. Yeah, true. That's fine. And I don't think Switch is uh, quite the Nintendo are quite as good at letting you return games no. that you've bought either. No. So that would be no. difficult. You can get it. I'm pretty sure you can get it on the Xbox. I'm pretty sure. I'd imagine. I think. Let me just... I'm, I'm having a look down here. No, you can't. Uh, <laughs> PS4 and Switch is what it's on okay. currently. That's so, fine. no. Yeah. Oh, I, I I think I have this for the Switch. So, I may have to give it another it's go. It's one of those games, yeah. uh, the way the way I played through... In fact, you can get one as well on the Switch, uh, delightfully. And the way I play these games is I take them to bed with me on my Switch. Oh. And it's a nice bedtime story. Oh. It's lovely. That sounds nice. It's very nice. Sounds lovely. Yeah. 
bedtime story about war and permadeath. And friendship. Don't forget friendship. And friendship, sure. Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Moving on to the last game um, that we're going to talk in depth about, and that is uh, my choice. And my choice is Virtua Fighter 4, which came out for the PS2 all the way back in 2002. Uh, so, surprisingly, not one that I believe was in development for the Dreamcast, not that I'm aware of anyway. It was an arcade title, of course, and a lot of, uh, in fact, most of Sega's arcade output around that time was ported to the Dreamcast. Uh, Virtua Fighter 4, not so, although they were generally, uh, the Virtua Fighter games took a while to port, from what I understand. So it released in arcades in 2001, um, but it was fairly quick, actually. Released on PS2 in 2002. However, so things like uh, Virtual Fighter 3TB came out while the Saturn was uh, still a thing, and they were going to port it to that, but ended up realizing the Saturn just wasn't powerful enough for Virtual Fighter 3, so they ported it to the Dreamcast instead. Uh, this one, Virtual Fighter 4, improved on 3 in so many ways. Um, I mean, 3 is a good game, it's a good Dreamcast game, but I think that most people would not put it very highly on their favorites of the Virtua Fighter series it's it's probably down towards the bottom of the pile in fact Virtua Fighter 3 however Virtua Fighter 4 I loved that game absolutely loved it it brought um getting it for the PS2 it was it was like playing a Dreamcast game again because you know it's uh, same aesthetic you know it's slightly blocky ever so slightly blocky still um they kind of improved that as you got on towards Virtua Fighter 5 where it's a bit more sleek and, and nice looking um but 4 it took what was great about virtual fighter um in general which was the technical nature of the fighting you know you were you were using real martial arts and you were doing it in a way that you would imagine people would actually fight rather than it being a big brash thing with lots mm. of explosions and noises and stuff happening like tekken and dead or alive would would have uh, virtual fire is very much more realistic and yeah, it introduced new characters, introduced uh, new arenas, and it made everything just feel uh, better. Like the gameplay itself, everything felt more connected. You, you felt like you were connecting more when you hit. You felt like you were having more of an impact in the game itself. Um, it wasn't so floaty. It was just an all-around great game, and um, it's almost a shame that it didn't come to the Dreamcast, but I don't think I could have ever seen it coming to the Dreamcast, unfortunately. Um I'll come to you first, Rich. Rich, is this one that you have played? Little of. Oh. Yeah, I've played it. Okay. Only very little. The only thing I remember about it compared to compared to my limited time with uh, 3TB, and I think I played that briefly in the arcade as well, was that they did kind of streamline this one a little bit. I know they expanded on what came before, but I think they made it a little bit more user-friendly. Yeah. I, I don't know if that was just to kind of pull in that Tekken crowd at that point, make it a bit more far-reaching in terms of the appeal, because I know stuff like the, the whole evasion system was still quite unique in a way, but I know they, they didn't they tweak like the the window of time that you had for like evasions and throws, and so I think it yeah. made it a bit more, yeah, like I said, user-friendly. Um, mm-hmm. So that was kind of cool, because I mean, I, I won't lie, I never always got on too brilliantly with them. Um, Virtua Fighter 3, I always thought my timing was quite off, so this one was a bit easier. Um, mm. That's what stood out to me most. Other than that, I can't say I remember a massive deal. Um, 
but it, it's a series I've always respected and it's kind of one even as like a non-fighting game fan I wish I kind of gave more time to to because I do like the fact that it is more like a fighting simulation and it is a beat-em-up mm-hmm. and I thought I just think that's quite unique I don't think any other games really done that mm. since not that I can think of other than yeah. sports titles obviously um but yeah so yeah no that's fair uh, before I come to you, Steve, just to mention as well, so just reading a bit more about it as well. So this released for the Naomi 2 arcade cabinets. So that I think that was more technically um, capable than the original Naomi cabinets, which were the st- that, that was what Dreamcast games were ported from. Naomi 2 had games like Virtual Fighter 4, of course. It had Beach Spikers, which got ported to GameCube. Um, and um, it also had stuff like Initial D arcade stage. Um, stuff like that, but it was a very few. There, there wasn't very many games released for Nomi 2, but that would explain why it never came to the Dreamcast mm. because it just wasn't able to. Um, and also, just to point out as well that um, looking again at Sega Retro, the game changed the Japanese arcade landscape, and that's a really sad thing to say now because Sega is stepping away from the arcade landscape now. Um, but this game changed the arcade landscape due to the use of internet and physical cards to save progress, which was later uh, the VF.net system. So you could actually save your progress via the internet in the mm. arcade which is pretty interesting um steve have you played this one um i probably have but i have a hard time and this is not to be disparaging of virtual fighter as a series i have a, a hard time differentiating between the different entries mm-hmm. uh, i i looked at some screenshots and stuff while you were talking there and i i i'm this was out on the ps2 right yeah yeah i think i do remember this one i remember uh being impressed with the graphics mm-hmm. mostly uh, my memories are of the snow level where the snow uh, gets disturbed by your feet and and you leave indentations in the snow, which looks really cool. Um, but I'm afraid as a I'm not a massive fighting game guy anyway. And mm-hmm. even within that sort of area of my gaming experience, Vir- Virtual Fighter was, was not my favorite one that I could play. I always felt like it was very stiff to me. And also I felt like you had to be very close to each other to yeah. do anything, which meant that I just felt like I was punching the air in front of people and not being able to close the gap in mm. on the person. Um, but again, that's just because it's not my flavor of, of game. That's not, you know, a mm. criticism. Uh, what what What's the deal with the Virtua Fire series now? Is that like what's... It's pretty much dead. Mm. Uh, they released five and uh, they released various versions of five because, you know, fighting games they generally tend to go through multiple iterations of it um i think final final round or final showdown i think it was called was the last game virtual fighter the virtual fighter 5 final showdown that was on xbox 360 um wow. i've been told there's a version of that in yakuza 6 huh. so um that you can play in the arcade there and that is huh. the last time you could play a virtual fighter game uh, the only way it's lived on is there were virtual fighter characters in the dead or alive games um, that's right four yeah. and five six no longer had them so i know yeah i know akira appeared appeared as a spirit fighter in uh, smash i believe in the last one but that's yeah. about it <laughs> yeah it's a shame they didn't get him into i mean they've got obviously uh, ryu from street fighter but that's i mean you know street fighter's iconic whereas i suppose virtual fighter is much more niche um especially oh. in the west I mean, considering like this came out on the arcades first, right? And uh, the mm-hmm. title Vir- Vir- Virtua Fighter, like all that, like what what they're selling you on there is like come and virtually fight, 
in 3D, mm. right? Because mm-hmm. it was the first 3D fighting game, right? Yeah, yeah. So, exactly. I mean, it kind of that was its one thing, and so I suppose it's kind of impressive that it went for five games with that title, really, considering in that time, 3D fighting games became less unique and unusual, but yeah. they just kept making them anyway. Well, yeah. What I mean, the thing that differentiates it from, like we said, like the Tekken and Dead or Alive's, is the fact that it is much more realistic and and you were saying just then steve that you found it difficult because you had to be much closer to people yes. and uh, and that i think that's just by virtue of the fact that it was more realistic you know yes, you, you yeah. play something like dead or alive and you're doing like weird like um what like spinning through the air kicks to get people mm-hmm. you couldn't you know that they're not realistic moves that you could do in real life and virtual fighters very much uh grounded in that and maybe that's what people put people off because people don't often go to those kind of games wanting a, a, a good approximation of fighting in real life. They they want to you know especially in arcades you want something that's flashy and showy and yeah. you can do cool yeah. stuff that you couldn't do in real life. I mean you know I I couldn't do any of the stuff that people do in Virtua Fighter because I just I can't <laughs> I don't know martial arts. But um, you know people want more than that I guess. Yeah, but can I, you... I liked it for the fact that it was more of a simulation than it was a flashy showy arcade game. Can you can you not spin through the air and kick your leg out at the same time? Can you not do that? No. Oh, right. I mean, not not like I am in um, in Dead or Alive 2 anyway. Like she just like launches herself sideways into. Yeah, people. well, I mean, she also turns into petals. So true, <laughs> you know. True. Yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> do you love Dead or Alive though? Great game, great game. Mm, um, indeed. But yeah, it's it's absolutely a shame that it, it no longer exists uh, in terms of being you know being a, a franchise similar to F Zero. In fact, you know, it's it's a franchise that's been forgotten about and i think it's long long due um a new game or at mm. least a, a, a remaster of one of its better titles perhaps you know if we saw a remaster of f-zero gx that would be great if we saw a remaster of mm. maybe virtual fighter 5 which i think is probably the pinnacle of the series um then yeah that'd be pretty awesome i'd like that all right we've gone through those games that we decided to speak about so there you go that was the six games that we chose to discuss there's so many more um and if you are listening and you want to chat with us about any of these games we are on twitter uh, twitter.com forward slash dreamcast years or i don't know why i didn't just say at dreamcast years because that's what everybody does uh my brain's just not working properly apparently um so at streamcast is on twitter we do have a discord it's rather quiet but if you fancy coming over to discord uh feel free to i haven't got a link because i can't read that over the uh the airwaves because it's long so just come and find us on twitter and you'll be able to find the discord link there um but yeah have a chat with us about this uh send us a message about your favorite sega games that came out after the dreamcast it'd be great to hear if you have different favorites than we have before we move on to kind of wrapping things up, though, I guess one thing to mention um, is the Dreamcast ports that came out. So the Dreamcast was discontinued, and uh, as we know, Sega then decided to port a bunch of its uh, most popular games over to other consoles. And, I mean, did we get any of these ports? I mean, the the, the most um, famous, I suppose, being Crazy Taxi, which got ported to everything and anything. There was mm-hmm. the port of Skies of Arcadia, um, Jet Set Radio got ported later, of course. Uh, Space Channel Five, all sorts of games got ported. Any particular favourites or any any you 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 enjoyed playing away from the Dreamcast? I mean, I think Crazy Crazy Taxi was definitely a no brainer. I mean, I think I've had that on 
um, PS2. I think I've had that on. Yeah, you name it. Everything mm. after the after the Dreamcast. But yeah. I did like Ferraria Three Five Five Challenge that came to the PS2 because mm. it was basically yeah, the same game as what was on the Dreamcast, but it did tweak a few things. I mean, it gave you a uh, your actual chase cam, so you had the external view of the car. And if I remember rightly, it corrected one of the things that bothered me in the Dreamcast original, and that was that the walls were made of Velcro. Oh. So as soon as you hit a wall, the car just lost all momentum. Like it wasn't in a are you you know you're being punished kind of kind of way like you would be in real life. It was literally like you lost all movement hmm. and you had to you had to accelerate all over again, and it used to really just hack me off because <laughs> it was always quite it was always a very realistic game so it was it was challenging enough without completely losing your speed and having absolutely no chance of catching up with the field again so that did that right um in terms of other games i can't really think of any i played um i think that was the main one really yeah anything else would be iterations of games that originally came out on the Dreamcast so they would yes. be sequels so yes. they didn't really qualify but mm. yeah that would be the main one that sticks out for me yeah that's fair the, the shame about Crazy Taxi being though that it lost all of the licensed music and licensed mm-hmm. locations yeah. away from the Dreamcast yeah yeah, yeah. so they port- they ported Crazy Taxi but I mean not really like it lost a lot of what made Crazy Taxi good it's still really fun to play obviously but yeah. a lot of Crazy Taxi is uh, of its time, um, and that's in the music and the advertising and mm-hmm. the brands and stuff. Mm-hmm. You strip that out, it's it's just not the same, is it? I mean, no. Playing on a Sega console in general is just it's where it's meant to be, mm-hmm. and that sounds a bit like snobby, but it just <laughs> I don't it loses something not being on Sega hardware. I don't know why, or in mm-hmm. an arcade, it I mean, doesn't feel right. I don't. There's no appetite for it. But after they did what they did with the re-release of. Uh, Burnout Paradise and more recently Tony Hawk's uh, mm. somebody yeah. could go back and do the work and, and get Ooh. a faithful Crazy Taxi port but I don't know what okay. the appetite would be like for that really that would be awesome if they did it in a Tony Hawk style way where they completely improved the graphics but kept the gameplay the same and mm-hmm. then retained the songs and stuff I'd, that'd, that'd, be, I'd be so pretty awesome yeah yeah, that'd be great. Maybe include um, the levels from Crazy Taxi 2 and 3 just because they can as well. That'd mm. be nice. Yeah. Although 3 maybe just... not as great. But... Oh. Yeah, that'd be great. Oh, that's, all, that's all I want now, Steve. That's all I want. <laughs> um, Steve, what about you? Have you played anything? I mean, Crazy Taxi, obviously. Caveats included that we've just discussed. Um, mm-hmm. The one that sticks out for me is Code Veronica, I think. Sure, yeah. Because that it felt for a little while like that was going to be trapped on the Dreamcasts. Um, obviously now it's it's everywhere else, so it's fine. Um, yeah. It's been given its chance to uh, have have its place in Resident Evil canon, even if it's you know doesn't quite make it that far. I don't think, but but mm. I'm glad that it got ported elsewhere. Yeah. yeah, that's nice. And there's a lot of non-Sega Dreamcast games that that managed to get away from the Dreamcast, as it were. I mean. You know, the, the Dreamcast fan in me always likes to think that the best Dreamcast games would stay on the Dreamcast and you'd only be able to play them on there and that would be be like a special thing. But in actuality, you know, so few people will get hold of a Dreamcast now. It's just nice that people get the chance to play these games at all. Um, so stuff like um, Power Stone as well, which mm-hmm. was only ever ported to the PSP, but at least it's available. 
on something other than the Dreamcast. So, you know. Well, we've cool. gone over this at great length, so we won't do it again. But where the hell is Power, is Power Stone now? Like, Well, apparently, the... according to the Capcom leak, we may be getting a reboot of that franchise Ooh. very soon. So something we've discussed for a long time on DCY is where's Power Stone 3? Why are we not getting remasters or a new one? And it seems like if the leaks are to be believed, they're definitely considering it. It might it might already be in development. Like we say this not just because we like Power Power Stone. We're not just like begging for a sequel, but it feels like the time is right because mm. couch co-op games or, or couch, you know, fighty games that you play with each other are bigger than they've ever ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. it just seems strange that we haven't seen a Power uh, a Power Stone. Very much so, especially when you've got um, kind of hardware like the Switch now, which is mm-hmm. kind of yes, begging exactly, yeah. for something like yeah. that. Um, it would be great. Uh, I mean, at this point, even if they just remastered one and two, I don't care mm-hmm. if they make a third one. Just a remaster of one or two, one and two would be enough to excite me at this point. But yeah, um, I mean, other than that, I mean, another big one. Which um, I mean, I say it's a big one, but it, it was big for the Dreamcast, and then. Uh, like you say with Code Veronica, it got its chance on another console, maybe didn't do quite as well as it, it should have done, but that was Headhunter, uh, which was one of the f- oh, one yeah. of the final games for Dreamcast, and then they ported it straight to the PS2, pretty much, straight away. Yeah. And it got a sequel, in fact. Uh, it got a sequel that came to the PS2 and the Xbox, mm-hmm. which also didn't do particularly well. So, but, you know, I think it, it was great. I mean... Again, mentioning another podcast here, but um, another podcast, in fact, that will be part of Winterfest for Radio Sega is the Dreamcast Junkyard. Uh, It's one I I kind of uh, frequent as well. And uh, for that, I did an interview with one of the producers of Headhunter, which is uh, Stefan Holmquist. And um, yeah, he was, uh, you know, when we spoke about the PS2 port, I, that sounded like a crazy like thing that happened. Like Sega were very much like, no, we're not going to port this to the PS2 because it's a Dreamcast game. And then very, very quickly turned it around and went, can you see if you can port this to the PS2? <laughs> <laughs> like, All right. Um, so uh, yeah. And then they, they you know, the, it obviously did well enough that it warranted a sequel, but it, it was a very different game, the sequel than the original game. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Bummer. Um, that first one was real good too. So it's a shame. Yeah. It's a shame. Very good game. Yeah, but there's a lot. There's a lot. And a lot of um, Dreamcast games came out later on. Like we saw the Dreamcast collection for the Xbox 360, which had Space Channel 5 Part 2, Sega, mm-hmm. Bass Fishing, Crazy Taxi, all those. Sonic Adventure. Uh, I say that with a like, oh, Sonic Adventure. Yeah, it's like that yeah. gets ported everywhere and it's not. I mean, that I suppose good. you include that, right? Yeah. You kind of have to, really. Yeah. Sonic Adventure 2 is better. But, you know, that did get ported as well, to be fair. And Soul Calibur, another one that got ported Yay. later, which is a great game. So, yeah, the, a lot of the really great games did get away from the Dreamcast, and other people were able to experience them, which is great. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's 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 a shame that that even had to happen, I suppose. But there you go. All right. So again, a lot of people listening. If you're listening to us via Radio Sega, we may be brand new to you. You may have never heard of us. Um, hi. Uh, hope you enjoyed our deep dive about Sega games uh, post Dreamcast. Um, I guess I thought before we before we end it and do our usual of, of letting you know where we are, um, a little more about us, I suppose. Um, I'm going to put you two on the spot now. Hi, Rich. Hi, Steve. Mm. Um, Hi. Hello. Tell the listeners a little bit about Dreamcast Years. Um, Dreamcast Ooh. Years? Well, um, Dreamcast Years came about as a result of Andrew's love for the Dreamcast and his subsequent authoring of a book about the Dreamcast, which is 
which is very good. Uh, there is a second one being written as we speak. Um, so that's sort of how the Dreamcast Years uh, podcast came about. Uh, we kept doing it because we had a lot of fun doing it, and we still do have a lot of fun doing yep. it. And they are, you know, we 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 know some stuff about games, but like we don't take it super seriously either. No. We have a good Ooh. time. Um, that's uh, that's how I see the Dreamcast Years, Rich. Yeah, I mean, for me, I fell into this being a backer of the first book so i just thought one day i'm gonna back a book and i'm gonna look forward to it arriving and <laughs> here i am now part of it part of the book part of the podcast and uh it's yeah it's just the lovely little passion project and andrew's done an amazing job and i'm yeah very proud to be part of this and i hope to do this for a while longer and just keep talking about our memories in a very informal and just a, you know, I don't know, just a very, very lovely way. Oh, that's very nice, Rich. I, I, I just want to pick up on something that you said there as well, because I forgot. Uh, we do, we like to talk about the games, but also like what it was like then, mm-hmm. uh, and how playing those games, uh, you know, informed our memories of that mm. time. Um, we do know a lot about games and stuff, but we don't come to you with an encyclopedic knowledge. We come to you mm. with our memories uh, of playing yeah. games. Back, back then and that's a big part of what the Dreamcast is is about exactly it's nostalgia isn't it it's it's all through sometimes rose tinted glasses sometimes looking at it from now and looking back and going mm-hmm. oh that was a game that we played that's not held up so well perhaps or you know mm-hmm. uh, yeah it's it is about our memories and um I think what's nice as well is the three of us get on really well and uh we have different memories of different games and sometimes we'll have a little bit of an argument about a game but uh it's uh <laughs> It's nice that we we have a, uh, a shared love of this particular period in gaming as well. Uh, so yeah, I very much enjoy it, and I hope you do too. Hope you've enjoyed listening to this, and uh, if you go on to listen to our other podcasts, um, yeah, there, there's some great ones there. And as I say, probably a particular highlight for me was our 2003 episode with Corey Marshall. Loved that one in particular. Great mm-hmm. episode, and and I want about the Sonic movie. I enjoyed very much too. Yeah, much. same. Yeah, mm-hmm. but um, episode. that 2003 one's great. If you want to uh, hear me talk my way out of having jokingly trashed Shenmue for the previous <laughs> however many episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good. Um, but yeah, have a listen. Um, and if you are one of our regular listeners, because this will be going out on our own feed as well, of course. Thank you so much for listening uh, so far. It's been great, and uh, keep interacting with us. Uh, keep voting in our polls for Game of the Year, and uh, you know, giving us your feedback. And it's been. You know, fantastic to have you as a listener uh, over however many episodes we've done now. I can't even remember how many we've done, but a fair few. Um, lots. Let's say lots. 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 That's, that's a good number. Um, and yes, as Steve says, uh, we do also have a book, um, which is Dreamcast Year 1. Dreamcast Year 2 is coming soon. Uh, if you go to dreamcastyears.co.uk, you can find a link to our um, the page that you can back those books still so it's finished on kickstarter you can late pledge at least until february 2021 uh, possibly a bit longer than that we will see um, as part of that you are able to get um, a cd of a exclusive dreamcast years podcast episode that will only ever be released on physical media will never be on our podcast stream or anywhere online um, there's a version of it that will be released on mini disc uh, which has already sold out um, but you can still get a version on cd uh, so do take a look at that. Um, all right, I guess that's that's it. We've come yeah, to the end so. of the deep dive. Yep. Uh, 
let's go around. Um, Steve, where can people find you if they so wish? You can find me at Steve Jack on Twitter. Awesome. Rich, what about you? And you can find me on Twitter at Dreamcast Barber. Excellent. Uh, you can find me at Oddment84. You can find all of us at Dreamcast Years. Uh, also, uh, because we all kind of are involved in it as well, just to let you know about the cross players, if you want to talk, you know, if you want more modern game talk, uh, if you like retro games and uh, talking about the kind of games that we talk about on the Dreamcast Years, great. But if you like modern games too, um, come and listen to the Cross Players podcast or the Crosscast. Um, and uh, that can be found at the Cross Players on Twitter, or you can go to thecrossplayers.com. Um, and Rich, just bef- before you go as well, I know you have a 90s focused podcast, uh, which people might want to listen to. I What's do. that? Yes, it's that podcast is called um, What's Wrong with Wolfie. It's myself and a lovely guy called Gamer Jason, and there is a guy called Chris as well. And we discuss basically movies, TVs, fads, and games. And each episode will cover one topic over one year. So we'll do 1991, 92, and so on. Um, and yeah, that's only what the fifth episode at the minute. And we've just done a deep dive on Star Trek Next Generation, Ooh. which I have probably watched as many episodes of as I've played games. So I <laughs> very little to contribute to that episode, but it was a very fun listen, uh, very fun record. And yeah, absolutely. Check it out. It's very, very good. Nice. If you if you understand what the title of that podcast is re- referencing, then that podcast is for you. Absolutely. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thank you again for joining us. Um, we usually start and end the deep dive podcast with some weird underwater bubble noises because, you know, deep dive water kind of makes sense. Uh, but because we're on Radio Sega, we're going to end the podcast uh, with our theme tune, which was created by the lovely Dan Ward, uh, who's also the founder of The Cross Players. Uh, so thank you very much for listening. Enjoy our title music and uh, come and give us a listen more regularly. Uh, until next time, keep dreaming. Bye. Bye.